Welcome into the Field of Play podcast. I'm Ori Phillips, back here for episode eight. First one here in about two-ish weeks, maybe a little over two weeks, actually. But we're back now, cranking out some more content for you guys. This is the Field of Play podcast, a podcast dedicated to the latest around JBU Athletics and the NAIA. But we're going to cover some more national news here as well on the show. But there's some big stories, and last week, really, I just wasn't I didn't have a lot of time last week to go in make an episode, so instead, you know, I decided to focus. This is something I've been putting off for a while, and that was really just rebranding the page. A lot of the logos I had up there, uh, the website I had up there, I was still using my old blog site. For those that don't know, uh, Field of Play at one time was a blog, and I'm not completely going to rule out ever going back on that again. It's still linked on the Facebook page, but I'm more focusing on the broadcasting side of journalism now podcasting that's what I'm really gearing towards at the moment but again it used to be a it used to be a blog I long overdue for rebrand I mean the stuff I had up there the logos all of that it was I mean the new field of play podcast logo well not new anymore the old field of play podcast logo that was new uh but my secondary logo it still it still had my first name in there it was like Ori's field of play that used to be the title of my blog that I saw I posted that in like 2013, so it was old stuff, old, old, just needs rebranding, needs uh, a little bit of freshening up, I'll put it like that, and you know, I've been working on this website, working on it, it's right now still very bare bones content wise, the field of play website, but I've got it linked on there, kind of tinkering with some stuff, there's going to be a lot of changes, a lot of updates there, but I'm working with some people, very knowledgeable on it, they've helped kind of guide me along getting this website underway in. We did the rebrand. We got a fresh new logo. I think it looks really nice. I worked on that a little bit last week. And I felt like, you know, no episode, but this would be a good week to go in do this. Because, I mean, the logo I originally had, it was just a black background with a gold ring and like a blue, light blue feel to play. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of that logo. I always, you know, branded it as, well, this is going to be a temporary deal. But by temporary, I didn't mean seven episodes. I meant maybe the first three or four, four at most. But what ended up happening is I just didn't have time to go in. You know, I've been doing a lot of the commentating for John Brown University basketball, a lot of the sports there. Um, and I just didn't have time to go in and really say, okay, I'm going to focus, make a new logo. Because I have made logos before, and I made that logo, but it was the one I just kind of did spur of the moment. It was one of the last things I did when making the podcast was, oh, man, I need a logo. Well, I put that one out. And, I mean, I'm just not a big fan of it. You click on it, it's very pixelated if you actually clicked on the logo on the Facebook page or on the Anchor page. It's very pixelated. It's not very good. My name isn't even on it. So, you know, trying to build up some type of on-air personality, you're not doing that by not putting your name on it. And that's something I've always been kind of on the ropes about. That's one reason why I took off my name from Ori's Field of Play. But I think I think the Field of Play title does work better, but I instead just put in with Ori Phillips. Put it down there. And, yeah, I think it's really good. We got a new site. It's on the Facebook page. And, and over the last two weeks, we've had a lot of new new fans, a lot of new followers, just a larger base of listeners, and I appreciate everybody following me on Facebook. That's the only page we have social media at right now. Uh, that could expand. I'm not really just a big social media person, but it could expand. But we, I think, nearly doubled our followers just off that rebrand alone. And I don't know if that's the sole reason why. 
But I still I still think it re- went really well. I showed it to people, you know, showed it off, and it got a lot of positive reviews. So I really like where it's at. And I think overall it went well. So I'll take that. Didn't have an episode, though, last week. So this is, for a lot of the newer fans, this may very well be the first episode they're hearing, first episode they're listening to. So if you're new to the Field of Play podcast, I welcome you in. Uh, again, we cover a lot of national news, but also local, especially John Brown University, the Golden Eagles there athletics programs, uh, and the NAIA. It's another. It's, it's where John Brown plays in. It's where they compete. Now they may have a couple games a year against some NCAA opponents, but that's where they play. And so I cover a lot of the stuff that goes on in their conference, the Sooner Athletic Conference, and I cover what goes on around, kind of around the league, especially with their national tournament coming up in Kansas City. Uh, the John Brown men are 99% sure going to be playing in that, barring just something incredible, just miraculous, just whatever big word you can use to describe it. It would take something huge for a 27-win team as of right now to just completely miss it. So, you know, it's it's I'm going to start covering that national tournament a little more as we get closer. Now, that's still about two-ish weeks off, two, three weeks off. So we're not. I'm not going to make it a big focus of this episode, especially since the conference tournament for SAC play is still going on right now. They're going to play the semifinals on the 6th. This episode is going out on the 5th. So we'll, we'll kind of aim to preview that. We'll also talk some national news. Another reason why I just didn't go into a podcast episode last week is wasn't that much to talk about. I mean, a lot of the stuff that was up still was topics I've already spoken on many times before. I mean, Tom Brady, is he going to go leave the Patriots? Is he going to go to the 49ers, the Cowboys? Uh, name a team. Is he going to leave? Is he going to go? I mean, I've talked about that probably four times. Uh, Houston Astros. Uh, people don't like them. I know they don't like them. They sign stealing scandal. You got fans uh, jeering them at the uh, spring training games. You know, I almost said training camps. It might as well be a training camp, but yeah. But I've spoken on that many a time as well. Houston Astros. So I mean, it, if I had done an episode last week, it wouldn't have been very good. It'd just been me rehashing for another forty-five minutes the same stuff, and it'd just be me saying, "Oh well." The Astros, it's a bad look for baseball. It's a bad look, and uh, really, I mean, they brought it on themselves. But Dusty Baker, the new manager, I mean, that's a good hire for them because it gives them respect. I mean, I said all that at least twice. And then the Brady deal, oh, well, I don't think it's very uh, it's very ideal for Tom Brady to go move across the country and go leave the Patriots, leave the system. All that. I've said that probably more than twice. So, I mean, and new news is coming out. It's starting to look a lot like uh, – Brady might end up going to the 49ers, which I will only believe it when I see it. I mean, he's been there for so long. Uh, the Patriots, I should say, he's been there for so long. It's just, again, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it. I'll believe he is leaving his team of of so many years, so many Super Bowls, uh, just a huge run, a team he's built all that with. I will believe he le- is leaving that for a team that hasn't won a Super Bowl in who knows how long, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, if I see it, you know, absolutely. I'll say I was wrong, you know. Uh, I I was off on the mark there. And I know we're seeing guys on ESPN now go on and talk about, well, Tom Brady, it, it'd be surprising if he goes back to the Patriots. I, I mean, we've heard that trope before. We've heard that. We've heard people say it'd be surprising if uh, Kawhi Leonard went to the Clippers. Well, look what happened. I remember specifically, actually, 
back around the June, a little after the NBA Finals, people were saying, well, the Clippers, they're not in play for Kawhi. They're absolutely not. It's either the Lakers or the Raptors. He's going to stay with the Raptors or he's going to L.A. to go play for the Lakers and join LeBron. Well, what ended up happening? He ended up going to the Clippers. And remember, these same people that are saying, well, I'd be surprised if Tom Brady stayed. Same people that said, I'd be surprised if Kawhi went to the Clippers. You know, but sports world is made to get surprised. You're going to get surprised a lot. So, but I don't want to hammer that. I don't want to go on and on about Brady, Brady, Brady. Because, I mean, I actually have a podcast title dedicated, and I spent a long time on that one just talking about it. Uh, Which episode was that? That was, I think that was episode five? Episode five or six? Yeah, episode six. Tom Brady to the Cowboys, posted on February 13th. If you want to hear... My Tom Brady take, just endless takes on Tom Brady and where he might go. I think I spent a segment and a half talking about that. You can pull up that. A lot of the information is still relevant almost a month later, which shows just the month between the Super Bowl and free agency starting. just shows how kind of much of a snoozer it is. And I know it's going to be exciting once things pick back up, and I'm sure I'll report on a lot of that. Uh, I want to get into this groove, of especially with uh, basketball season coming to an end, at least at the collegiate level. Uh, once that does end and I have nothing to commentate, I could very well get back into this groove of putting out two episodes a week. And if I do, NFL free agency is going to be a big topic of it. Uh, but really, uh, I mean, I've hammered home the whole Tom Brady deal. Oh, he's, is he's I don't think he'll leave the Patriots. I still don't think he will. Um, but I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, I, it could happen. I'll say this. Uh, two weeks ago, I was 95% sure Brady wasn't leaving the Patriots. Now I'm probably 80% sure he isn't leaving the Patriots. So, uh, you know, 95%, again, a couple weeks ago I said 95%. I uh, was 95% sure Brady wasn't leaving. Now it's 80, I guess 15%. I, that must account for something. So, I don't know, man. That's, I mean, it's just, I mean, that's the top story now right now on ESPN. Top headlines. Brady unsure of future heading into free agency. How many times have we seen that? How many times have we seen that headline? And then number two, Joe Burrow. Please don't compare me to Tom Brady. I mean, and I knew Brady was going to dominate, and I don't, blame anybody for that but it's the same stuff we've heard and that's a big reason why I didn't make an episode last week because I'd have just been rehashing stuff I'd said in episodes four because the Burrow deal is he going to ditch the Bengals that was still pretty relevant um, episode five that was a JBU Sooner Athletic Conference recap so that one wouldn't have been the same but Brady to the Cowboys same stuff now Brady to the Cowboys has quietened down especially since they're talking about possibility of a Dak Prescott extension uh, but then you go back up. Then you see episode seven. I talk more about NFL free agency, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Houston Astros, that was the title. That was the top headline. Should the Astros lose World Series title? That was the top headline. And I said that I would be una- I would not be opposed to them getting their title vacated. Kind of in the same vein they do in college football. They vacate wins. Uh, but, I'd, again, I was against, well, let's give it to the Dodgers. I, I, don't, I don't think you can turn around and do that. I don't think you can. But it's, it's stuff I've hammered home, hammered home, hammered home. I talked Dusty Baker a few weeks back, um, the Dusty Baker hired by the Astros. So really this podcast, I want to talk about more, you know, quote the rebrand, what I was talking about the rebrand. I want to talk about something fresh. I need to think of a better word to go with that. But I want to talk about something, something different because, I mean, early winter, I know it's a boring time sports-wise in terms of headlines. Because you have baseball just starting back, and you got people kind of rehashing headlines that were relevant back in November. Uh, NBA, I mean, they're at a point in the year where 
yes, they're coming off the All-Star break. There's not just a whole lot of big headlines, though. NFL, the month between Super Bowl and free agency, it's a lot of just speculation. A lot of just, oh, well, Tom Brady was in Tennessee. He stopped at a gas station in Nashville, so he must be signing with the Titans. Stuff like that. And, uh, I mean, there's just not a whole lot on that front. But there is there is some on the college basketball end, and I'll go ahead here, take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk some Sooner Athletic Conference tournament action. we got the semifinals coming up on the 6th in Plainview, Texas. A lot to take in there. We had the games on March 3rd. Eight teams facing off. The top four seeds got to host. John Brown, they played their last game at Bill George Arena on the year. Did they complete their undefeated record at home? I'll talk that more right after the break. You're listening to the Field of Play podcast. I'm Ori Phillips. The views, comments, or opinions expressed in this podcast are those of their respective contributors alone. Views, comments, or opinions expressed do not necessarily represent the views of John Brown University or any employees thereof. John Brown University is not responsible for any errors, omissions, or accuracy of the content and disclaims any and all liability for the content of this podcast and comments written by any contributors, viewers, or listeners. Welcome back to the Field of Play podcast. I'm Ori Phillips. Got done with the first segment. Now we'll move on here, shifting gears. Let's talk a little bit about Sooner Athletic Conference basketball tournament. I'll speak some on the women's side, but first I want to talk about the men. Uh, Again, as you may know, I've said it in the past, out of the 11 teams in the conference, the top eight, they go to the conference tournament. And in the quarterfinals, the top four seeds host their games after that. Semifinals and the finals played at a site predetermined and picked a couple years ago. John Brown hosted, I think, last year. Oklahoma City hosted, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that. Uh, let me look, actually, for a second here. Yeah, Oklahoma City, they, I think they hosted it. Well, one of them did. The men did last year. The women didn't. But this year they're hosting it uh, in Plainview, Texas. Hutcherson Center, home of Wayland Baptist. They're going to host it this year, John Brown not. So in terms of visual, like, television-style broadcast for JBU this year, I think I'm done. Uh, now, if they go to Kansas City, which I'm 99% sure they will, that could change some things. I may be going down – or up to Kansas City, I should say, in broadcasting. Uh, but if once I know for 100% certain, I will spread the word on here. But first, let's talk about the games that happened on March 3rd. On Tuesday night, four teams – or four games took place – You had number one, Mid-America Christian, against number eight, Southwestern Christian. Number two, John Brown, against number seven, Oklahoma City. Number three, Texas Wesleyan, against number six, Science and Arts. Number four, Sagu, Southwestern Assemblies of God, against number five, Wayland Baptist. And the way it really worked here is Mid-America Christian, they won the regular season conference title. They're in the tournament. They got that automatic bid. But the conference champion, the one that wins the tournament, they also get an automatic bid. But Mac U, they were already in it. John Brown going in, they'd only lost four games there, 26 and 4. They're probably, well, they're, they're a lock. So Mac U and John Brown, they're locks. Uh, Texas Wesleyan, I think they were, they lost about eight games. I think they were 21 and 8 going in. They, they're ranked 24th. 
I don't want to say they were just a lock, but they were, I'd say there's about a 70-75% chance they get in. Now, only 32 teams make the national tournament, but they're third in the conference they get in uh, most likely, I would say. And then you had Sagu. They were kind of on a cold run. They lost their leading score in the conference, Nicholas Mason, to an injury. They were kind of shorthanded. They lost their last three conference games. Still finished fourth, though. They were they're ranked 13th nationally. I don't know how that changes off those losses. Uh, but 13-7 and seven in conference, 23-7 and seven overall. They probably, I'd say about an 85% chance they get in uh, going into the conference tournament. I mean, all they needed was a good showing in the quarterfinals, most likely, to clinch their spot in there. Uh, but then you're the teams right below them. Whalen, they needed a win, I would say. They were kind of on that receiving votes, kind of on the bubble. One of, either one of the last couple teams. I would venture to say they were probably one of the first couple out. Uh, going in 20-10, and 12-8, and 8, that makes for about a bubble team. They needed a win against Sagu to get it. And then behind them, Science and Arts, Oklahoma City, Southwestern Christian, all talented teams. They went in, they made the conference tournament. They had been competitive this year before, but they all probably needed to win out, win a conference championship to receive that auto bid because, again, going in Science and Arts 16 and 14, not going to get you in the tournament. Oklahoma City 15 and 15, not going to get you in the tournament. Southwestern Christian 14 and 14, not going to get you in the tournament. So they had to do that. Those are kind of the stakes there, but. Now just going in, looking at some of these scores. First, I'll talk about the game that I was involved in, the John Brown-Oklahoma City game. And this was one I talked to some people around JBU, and for about a week we're all kind of anticipating JBU. They've been locked in the number two seed for a while. Uh, but who, who are they going to face? They're either going to face Southwestern Christian, Langston, or Oklahoma City. Now all three teams have played John Brown close before, but the consensus from just about everybody I talked to was that OCU was the draw they were most scared of. Uh, I don't want to say scared, but at least that was the one they did not want to face because it took overtime to beat them both times. OCU, they have a great offense. They can hit threes, and you have to be on your A game defensively. They have so many capable scores. You can't just put your best defender on their best offensive player and assume, well, it's all going to be fine. You have to have a full defensive game from everybody all around, and that is a tall task. And OCU going in, they're 15 and 15, 7 and 13 in conference, but they are way better than that record. I mean, they played MacU close. Uh, they played John Brown close both times. It took overtime to take a win, or for John Brown to take the win. Uh, they're just a really good team. Now, I don't know if they had the talent on the level of last year's team that made it all the way, won the conference championship, uh, but they had talent, and they are much more talented than their record indicated. But John Brown, I mean, going out, they. I mean, there's a lot of concern over, well, they had the slow starts. And I'm not going to lie to you, they have had some slow starts over these last few weeks. And the big thing I said on the broadcast, they got to play 40 minutes of basketball. And they went out and they played 40 minutes of basketball. Full, complete, great team effort just all around. Especially great games from Denzier Carnes and Kyrie Hutchings. Uh, Carnes, one of their big men, but he has a long-range shooting game that I've said before, I don't feel like a lot of defenses in the Sooner Athletic Conference are overall just really respect, and it's allowed him to be really just a deadly threat anywhere on the court when he has the ball. He had a great game. 26 points led the way for John Brown. Kyrie Hutchings right behind him. He had 17. Hutchings, he went out. He shot 5 for 10 from deep, 6 for 12 from the floor. Carnes, he shot 8 for 12 from the floor, 6 for 8 from deep. So each great game for them. Carnes also had a double-double, 10 rebounds there. And Luke Harper, he had kind of a struggle, a hard game against Sagu on Saturday, but he went out, got 17 points. OCU, I mean, they had a pretty good game themselves. Rashawn Coleman especially, he went out, had 20 points on 8-for-9 shooting, and that is somebody that's just a 
complete threat there for the Stars. But they didn't get as much of the supporting cast involved. Eddie Smith had a nice game. But really, John Brown, they were the dominant team from the get-go. They went out and they took the win, 80-65. to And, I mean, for as much as people were talking about, well, this is a tough draw for John Brown, they were, in my opinion, the most dominant team to play that day. If you're talking about the way they handled their opponent, they were the only one that really just was able to get distance from them. All the other games were single digits. John Brown took an Oklahoma City team that was that I would say is good, and they beat them by 15. Now it was at Bill George Arena. They really uh, play into their elements when they're there. They really play well at Bill George. They undefeated, completed the undefeated record this year there, 17 and 0. But still another really good win, and that was something that as a John Brown student. I like to see. I like to see that. You know, and that's something. They hadn't had a complete game like that last week. They lost to Texas Wesleyan. They barely beat Sagu. Uh, You could make the case they probably should have lost that game. Uh, But to see them go out on Tuesday night, have just a great performance like that, dominating from the three ball, crashing the glass too. I mean, they had 42 rebounds. Meanwhile, OCU, they only had 20. Just another great stat there. Uh, OCU again, 20 rebounds, only one offensive board as well. And while JBU, they had 16 offensive boards, uh, 42 total rebounds. And uh, what Coach Jason Bestia for John Brown told me after the game, the big thing is, is it wasn't even their top rebounders going out and getting those offensive boards. I mean, Denzel Carnes, he had zero. Quentin Bailey, he only had one. Uh, I think he said Nemanja Obradovic, one of their top big men off the bench, he didn't have a single offensive board. So it was really just guys going out, making plays, and that's something you like to see, especially as you start the talent. It's only going to get tougher from here. It's only going to get tougher. Um, I'll talk more about who they draw in a second, but a really good game for them with that win. They go 27-4 and on the year. Oklahoma City, you know, I, I have to respect what they've done this year. 15-16, and 16, I know that's below 500, but they were a team. They went through a lot of adversity. They lost. They got a new head coach this year, but they lost him at midseason. Uh, Hank Aldis came in. Uh, not a whole lot of coaching experience there, but he really helped keep that team together. And they still put up a really respectable year. I got respect for what OCU's done. And they're, again, a lot better, I think, than that 15-16 and 16 record. But it goes to show how tough that conference is. Sooner Athletic Conference, every single game is grinded out. And I think just about every single team in here, they're in contention for a win every night they play. Just unfortunately for the Stars, and there weren't enough of those games that went their way, and this was no different. That, I would assume, ends their season at 15-16. and 16. John Brown, they take the win there. Now, we'll talk about who they draw. Right above them, it was Science Narts and Texas Wesleyan. Texas Wesleyan, a team that I said was, behind MacU, probably the team to beat going into the conference tournament. I think JBU, they have been pretty inconsistent heading in. Uh, Sagu, they were kind of shorthanded. But Texas Wesleyan going in, they looked really good. The Rams going out, and I thought I didn't know if they were going to actually win the conference tournament, but I felt like where they were at with their draw, there was a good chance they could at least get to the semifinals. But Science and Arts had some things to say about that, and they're another team, the Drovers, that I felt like they're way better than their record indicates. Going in there 16-14, but they've been hit with some injuries this year, and they just weren't able to get a whole lot of those big wins on their plate as a result of that. Uh, but the way they came out and played, 98 points that they put on Texas Wesleyan. Uh, now the Rams, they have a really good offense as well, but it wasn't enough. Texas Wesleyan, they went out there and they they took the loss. 
Final score, 98-96 in favor of Science and Arts. Now, with that, does this mean Texas Wesleyan, their tournament hopes are kind of in, in the tank? I wouldn't say so. 21-9, and nine, that's their record right now. I would argue that's still good enough. You reach 20 wins or more, there's a pretty good chance you end up in the tournament. I know they're ranked 24th going in. A loss like that, it may knock them out of the top 25. I don't know. I mean, they have a win against John Brown that has come since that last poll came out, so it may even it out. They may stay in the same spot. Uh, but I still think they're a pretty safe bet to go in. I'd say they probably have about a 70%, 75% chance of making it in. I mean, if there's something that happens with the auto bids, uh, you have a bunch of teams that just score a bunch of upsets. They go in like science and arts. Like, let's say they go out, they actually win the conference tournament, and they get that automatic bid. And you have other situations like that in other conferences. Then you could say the Rams may be in a little bit of trouble. But I would say chances are, I mean, they got 21 wins. They may be a lower seed. They may be a seven. They may be an eight. But I, I think Texas Wesleyan still gets in. And Science and Arts, a great win by them. Really good games by just a bunch of different players who made five scoring double figures, led by 24 points from Cameron Hines. And that's something they will look to take against JBU. They actually beat John Brown earlier this year, and that's just a really good team. They got hit with some injuries. But if they can beat John Brown, who's to say they couldn't beat whoever they draw in the conference championship? I said going in, they are a potential dark horse. But the situation remains the same, and you got to – Assume they still feel that sense of urgency. They Even if they, despite the fact they won that game, if they still go play John Brown, they lose. That's a 7-15 and record. That's not good enough for a national tournament. They have to win out. They still have, That's one down, but they have two left. And it will be interesting down in playing view on March 6th to see what happens. I'm really split on who I think can win that. I kind of have to give the edge to John Brown with how they played against Oklahoma City on Tuesday night, but – Science and Arts, I think they beat the better team, and they put up 98 in the process. So I think it's going to be another good one. I'll go ahead. I'll talk about the rest of the bracket when we come back. I'm uh, going to be talking one seed against eight, Mac U against Southwestern Christian, and then Sagu playing off against Wayland Baptist, J.J. Culver. Guy dropped 100 earlier in the year, but was he able to engineer another great offensive effort against the Sagu Lions? I'll talk more about that after the break, and I'll also kind of look at the women's bracket as well. And then later on, I'll talk NFL free agency and more national sports headlines. You're listening to the Field of Play podcast. I'm Maury Phillips. Welcome back to the Field of Play podcast. Resuming, kind of building off of the last segment here, just talking more about Sooner Athletic Conference Tournament in the last segment here. We talked about John Brown against Oklahoma City and then Science and Arts against Texas Wesleyan. JBU, they took their third win of the year against the Stars. They won that one 80-65. They'll advance to play Science and Arts, the sixth seed. They pulled the upset against Texas Wesleyan, got the win, a high-scoring one there. 98-96 was the final. That's going to be another really good one. They'll be playing on March 6th, Friday, March 6th, that game's going to tip off at 8. Now we'll shift gears here to talk more about the conference tournament, but we'll talk about the top of the bracket here. Number one, Mac U against number eight, Southwestern Christian. The Mid-America Christian Evangels looking to go in, take a win. They, I mean, they're going in where the team to beat, in my mind. Uh, and it was this one was closer than I thought it would be. But Mid-America Christian, they were able to pull out the victory. 
And another really good team performance offensively in my mind. They shot over 50% from the field. They had five players scoring in double figures, three that had at least 16 points. And you look at Southwestern Christian, they put up a really respectable performance as well. They had three that scored at least 17, and they had four total that scored in double figures. But again, Mac U is just so hard to stop, and they were able to take the win in this one. The final was 89-82. They got the win by seven, and this was one I wasn't really able to monitor much because they tipped off a full 45 minutes later uh, than all the others, so we weren't really able to provide many score updates for that one. But it was pretty close, it appears. I don't know if it was just nail-biter finish. I haven't really gotten a chance to go back and watch that one. But, Mac U, they do take the win. Only lost one game on the year, and that was to JBU at Bill George Arena. But now they go in. Who do they play, though? Number four, Southwestern Assemblies of God, otherwise known as SAGU, playing off against Wayland Baptist. This one on paper had the potential to be really good. Both teams, like the teams have the two leading scorers, SAGU. They have Nicholas Mason. He is the leading scorer in the conference, but right behind him is J.J. Culver, brother of Jarrett Culver, who plays in the NBA. Uh, J.J., he actually went out earlier this year, scored 100 points in a non-conference, te- on a non-conference game, I should say. Kind of follow my words there. Uh, but J.J. Culver, second leading scorer in the conference. But Sagu, they held him in check. He only had 11 points in that one on 4-for-12 shooting. Now, he was 3-for-4 from three-point range, but really, they, t- they took him out of the game now. Jack Nobles hit a really good one there for the Pioneers of Wayland Baptist. He had 19 points leading the way. Sagu... 27 points behind Kenton Williams, who really stepped up in the absence of Nicholas Mason. But this one was a close one, another one we're very actively monitoring uh, because even though John Brown, they would they would not play exactly the winner of this one unless that team made the finals. They'd only meet up in the finals. Uh, this was still a really big one, and it, I felt like it could go either way. I kind of gave Waylon Baptist the edge in this one considering Segu, they've been playing shorthanded. Uh, they did not have a healthy roster going into the tournament, and they, as a result, were not playing their best basketball. They had lost their previous three conference games going in, and that, without a doubt, will stand to hurt their seeding unless they can go win out. Uh, whereas going into the last couple weeks of the regular season, they looked like a potential 3-4 seed. Uh, going in now, seven losses, they look more along the lines of, you know, maybe a 5-6 possibly. Uh, and this, I'm not saying this entirely helps them. They did take the win, though, uh, 74-72. But really, I mean, this is one win that they need to get. This is one they needed. Because, uh, again, if they had lost, I don't think it would have put their tournament hopes in jeopardy because, again, they did reach the 20 wins, single-digit losses. Whalen needed a win here more than Sagu. But if you're talking about national seeding, this was this was a game that the Lions did need to win. Now, Whalen on the tournament bubble, they did get to 20 wins this year. But ultimately, I mean, is it enough? Uh, Looking at what I've heard, looking at what I've read, it seems like they'd probably be one of the first couple of teams out, and a first-round exit in the conference tournament does not help that. They're 20-11. and That's bubble status. It depends. I would assume it depends on who gets the auto bids. It depends. If you see a bunch of MACU teams, a bunch of teams ahead of them getting auto bids or regular season conference title teams going off and winning those conference tournaments, then Wayland probably sneaks in. But if you have teams like Science and Arts going off, stealing auto bids, just taking those up, they would pass up Wayland. And it's a bad spot to be in because now for the next week, they're practically left wondering, well, what, where do we go? What goes from here? Is our season over? And I would say my leanings here are that 
it probably is. I'm going to say there's probably a 40% chance they get in, 60% they don't because I think if you looked at the top 25, they were receiving votes, but 32 teams make it to Kansas City, and I think Wayland, they were 33rd or 34th in the overall rankings, if I'm not mistaken, just based off of the receiving votes. Now, this is a team they played really well at certain points of the year. They had a really good home record, for example, 11-4 and at their place, but there were times where they were just ice cold and, Again, another situation with him, J.J. Culver, if you were able to cover him like Sagu was able to, then you're, you're in a good spot to go off and win the game. And Sagu, they managed to get that one. And again, that's a win they needed. With that 23-7 on the year, 13-7, they – I don't think their NAIA tournament spot was ever in jeopardy, but that, I think, clinches things. But they have a tall task against Mid-America Christian. That's one that – I mean, Mac, you, they're the team to beat right now. They are legitimately – the team to beat, and I think it's going to be a hard one. I think it's going to be a hard one there for Sagu. Uh, Mackie, I mean, they're just so tough, and Sagu actually almost beat them when Mid-America Christian came to their place a couple weeks back. Uh, They should have beat them because what ended up happening is they got it down to the last couple of seconds. Uh, Sagu was ahead, uh, and Mackie was just left throwing up, heaving up a three, and they fouled the Mac U player, he went to the line, sunk all three of his free throws, and they got the win. But that's a game, Sagu, they should have had. If they had not fouled, they would have won the game. They would have scored the upset. Uh, so, I mean, this is one I think if they have a healthy roster, they will be able to go in and have a good shot at it. But I think Mac U, they're just so hard to beat. And, I mean, 17-0 at home, perfect home record. Only loss was on the road to John Brown back when JBU was really hitting their stride. And that's not to say they aren't now, but that was with, like, late January, they're playing their best basketball of the year. And I think they could still I could, I think they could still best that, uh, but they're facing a red-hot JBU team at that point. And uh, Mac U, I think they're just, at this point, they're practically unstoppable. Uh, they've had some close calls, uh, but they could very well be the favorite to go to Kansas City and win it all. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Sagu, though, um, I mean, they could use another win, help their case. It helps their seeding. And Mac U, I think even if they lose before they get to the conference championship, they're likely a one seed. But who doesn't want to go out and win a conference, go out and win a conference championship? Because even if they lost, I mean, they'd be thirty and two. That's still probably one seed. Uh, but I mean, everybody wants to go out and they win the conference championship. So there's still some stakes on the line there. Then you look at John Brown and Science and Arts. That's one. Could be anybody's ball game. I think you talk about some matchups there. I think Science and Arts, they have some very intimidating matchups against John Brown, some that they stack up well at. And that's something that the middle to lower half of the conference, really a lot of them just didn't stack up well matchup-wise. Science and Arts does. And I think you talk about if they didn't have as many injuries as they did, uh, they would be in one of the top four five spots in the conference, I feel like. Uh I don't know, though. I still feel like you have to give the edge to John Brown considering how they played. They were really the only one that was able to just go out and dominate their opponent. The rest of them was really back and forth. Even Mac U, they were still really close with the number eight seed there. And ultimately, I mean, they got the win. But I think JBU, they were the only ones that outright dominated on Tuesday night. I got to give them the edge. So I really think you look at that. I mean, Mid-America Christian, John Brown, that's round three. They split the first two. Uh, Mid-America Christian, they beat John Brown at Mid-America Christian's place. And then uh, Mac U, they went to Bill George, faced John Brown at their place, and they lost. So the home team has won both. This time it would be on even ground. 
It's going to be all the way down in Plainview, Texas. Say what you want about the whole deal about the conference having it hosted at a seemingly random spot. Uh, Wayland, they're hosting it this year. They're out of the conference tournament on the men's side. Uh, but round three, I think that's what we'll see. It's, it's a tough one to call, too. That was, I really can't say who I think will win there. I, I think I give the edge to MACU just because they're the number one team in the country. Uh, they've won their last ten. Uh, they've had some close calls, but they haven't been quite as streaky as John Brown has been at times. Uh, but I could see this one also going either way. But if you're asking me about my semifinals picks, I'm going to have to say John Brown, they beat Science and Arts by a couple. And I think Mid-America Christian Sagu, they may play it close early, but I think Mackey's going to be able to go out, get a little bit of separation there, and they should be able to win this one. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I do think it'll be by double digits. I think Mackey, the Evangels, they go on to the finals, as does John Brown for round three. We'll see what happens there. I think you got to give the edge to Mackey based off how they've played over the last month or so since they lost to John Brown. And they haven't just played great basketball, but they have played better than the Golden Eagles, I would say. Uh, I think you have to give them the edge, but it could go either way. It would not shock me at all if John Brown went down, shot the lights out there, three-pointers just flying everywhere, and they take a conference title. Neither would shock me. So kind of my spiel there, kind of the recap of what happened the other night, Sooner Athletic Conference quarterfinals. Great seasons by Oklahoma City, Southwestern Christian. Just wasn't enough. I don't think it'll be enough to go in and get it NAI national tournament spot. But science and arts, season isn't over yet for them. They do probably need to win their last two, uh, win the conference championship, get one of those automatic bids. And Wayland with their loss, I mean, they're just as much on the bubble as a lot of these teams out there. Uh, and really it's all going to go down to what happens on the selection show. I think that's on March 11th. So that's the, that's the date to mark down on your calendar if you're a Wayland Baptist fan. I would lean that they're probably out. But you never know. Shocking things can happen, and it would not surprise me just too badly if the Pioneers made it in because they have a good offense, a lot of draw, especially with J.J. Culver, and they've shown they can beat some top competition before in the preseason. A lot of people had them as the conference favorites, including myself. I said they'd win the conference championship. So there's some appeal there with them. It'll just be interesting to see what happens. But I think uh, Mid-America Christian, John Brown, uh, Sagu, Science and Arts still left. I think, personally, Mackey and John Brown get a round three in the conference tournament finals, but we'll see. Anyway, that will that will do it for this segment. We'll come back here, talk some women's action in the Sooner Athletic Conference Tournament. We'll kind of talk on that a little bit. Then I'll come back later on, talk some NFL free agency, as well as some other national news around the sports world. You're listening to the Field of Play podcast. I'm Ori Phillips. Welcome back into the Field of Play podcast. I'm Maury Phillips. In the last couple segments, we talked about the Sooner Athletic Conference basketball tournament on the men's side. Now let's go ahead and talk about the Sooner Athletic Conference basketball tournament on the women's side. As you know, going in, Oklahoma City, the number one team in the country, ranked nationally. They were by far the favorites. Now a big thing to note here is, I mean, I hyped up their game against Wayland Baptist, the big rematch there, and Wayland at home at their place. Number five, Wayland Baptist, the Flying Queens, they went out and they beat OCU, gave them their first loss on the year. That was on February 27th. So a big win there. 
And it does kind of make you wonder, well, are they really the favorites now going in? And I think Wayland, they're on a better run, a better streak, especially since they beat OCU. But I think Oklahoma City, they still are probably my favorite, but uh, to at least to win the conference championship. I don't know about nationally now. That does kind of put some doubt on, well, can they go do it nationally? I still think they can. I've been hyping up the OCU stars on the women's side all season long. So I think they still have it there, and I still think they can go out and really win. I think they'll be in also competing for a national championship as well. But we had some games on that end. Oklahoma City, they drew Langston, number eight Langston, in that one. Uh, Wayland, they're the two seed. They drew up number seven, Sagu. Science and Arts, the three seed. They drew up Southwestern Christian at the six seed. And Mac Hube and America Christian, number four seed. They drew up number five seed, Texas Wesleyan. So some good games there. John Brown, Central Christian, and Panhandle State all missed the cut. Uh, but some good games still nonetheless. Oklahoma City facing off against Langston going in. OCU was 28-1. and And then going in, Langston, meanwhile, they were 11-17. and Not just a really great season for the Lions, but there was, there was a chance potentially to see maybe upset could happen, but... OCU, they went out, they dominated that one. They took the win 69-47. Not just too surprising. I felt like Langston, they had had some good games down the line this season. Maybe we could see something, especially since Oklahoma City, they did lose about a week ago, but they managed to bounce back. I mean, they got a win the other day as well uh, going into the conference tournament. They got a win the Saturday after the Wayland loss. They beat Panhandle State, uh, who actually didn't end up winning a single conference game this year, but they do end up taking the win here against Langston. OCU beats Langston 69-47. Then you look at the bottom of the bracket. Wayland Baptist, they just dominated South or Southwestern Assemblies of God. Final there, 106-63. Going in, I mean, Wayland, 28-2. Only loss in the conference was to OCU way back a long time ago, months ago. And they've just been on a great run right now. 25 games that they've won consecutively. Uh, the Team with the next longest winning streak has three. So they won that one. Going in, Sagu, they were a 14-14 right at 500, 8-12 in conference. This was another one kind of like the Oklahoma City game where the there was one really talented team and one sort of talented team, but in comparison, they were just outmatched. And the Flying Queens of Wayland Baptist, they go out and get a huge win there, hitting the century mark, 106-63 the final. Uh then who do they play? Southwestern Christian was facing off against Science and Arts. And USAO is a team that they're kind of, again, on that tournament bubble. They're in third in the conference, but they're 21-9, 14-6. The Sooner Athletic Conference, aside from OCU and Wayland, just hasn't been really competitive this year. Now, I think you have two real national championship contenders there, but Science and Arts, are they in the running? In my mind, I would say they make it in, and they're gaming at Southwestern Christian, a team that heading into that one, was eight or nineteen and nine. I feel like that only helps matters. USAO they go out, they take the win by double digits, seventy-one fifty-six. And then you look at the Macu Texas Wesleyan game. That was the only close one of that night. So whereas on the men's side, uh, every single game with the exception of John Brown and OCU was close. And this one, every single game with the exception of Macu and Texas Wesleyan was just pretty much a blowout. Macu they do take the win there, eighty to seventy-five. With the win, Mac U advances to face Oklahoma City. 
Mac U 21 and 10. Oklahoma City's 29 and 1. And then Science and Arts will face Wayland Baptist 21 and 9 for the Science and Arts Drovers. Wayland Baptist 29 and 2. I don't think that Science and Arts, I think that win helps Science and Arts case for an NAIA national tournament berth. I feel like that kind of clinches things for them. But a loss to Wayland will put him at 21 and 10. That is still a record that would put you on the bubble. I feel like they'd be one of the last ones in. But a big game nonetheless. Flying Queens looking to also go in, push for a number one seed. And I think if they can go out, face Oklahoma City in round three, because I feel like that's inevitable at this point. The winner of that, they do, I think, take a one seed. I think if I think if Wayland wins that one, they take one, and OCU probably keeps a one seed. So you'll have multiple one seeds in the national tournament from the Sooner Athletic Conference. Uh, but regardless, that's going to be a really good one. I feel like that's what it's going to prime up to be. Uh, but Mackey, I mean, they've had some good games. Maybe they can pull off the upset against OCU. Those games also both being played down at the Hutcherson Center in Plainview, Texas. Mackey, OCU is going to tip off at 1 p.m. on Friday, March 6th. Science and Arts going to tip off against Wayland Baptist at 3 p.m. So some good games there, but I feel like it's really bracing up for round three between Wayland and OCU. If they did meet again, I'd probably have to give the edge to Wayland. I think OCU, they may be the better team from top to bottom. But right now, Wayland, they're just playing better basketball. They've won 25 straight, so that should tell you all you need to know. And uh, the Flying Queens, they need that to probably get a one seed for the tournament. If they lose three games, that does put them kind of on the edge. They'd probably either be the highest two or the lowest three with three losses, or the highest two or the lowest one, I should say, with three losses. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I feel like, again, we're kind of bracing for that. I respect both MACU and Science Snarts for what they've done this year. Both teams kind of on that NAI tournament bubble. They do need wins, especially MACU, since they're not even receiving votes right now. But the, by far the two most talented teams, Oklahoma City and Wayland, we're going to get around three there, I feel like. And I think Wayland comes out, and they win it just off the strength of what they've been doing lately. I think you look at OCU, they may be the better team on paper, uh, but Wayland, their offense is just on fire. I mean, they hit the century marking at Sagu, uh, and it wasn't even close there. So just a lot of interesting basketball, just fun basketball being played, and a lot on the line there. So some good stuff from the Sooner Athletic Conference Tournament. Then back on the men's side sometimes there. They'll also be playing on March 6th in Plainview at the Hutcherson Center. Mackew, Sagu, one versus four. That game tips off at six. And then John Brown and Science and Arts, two versus six. That game tips off at eight also on March 6th. And then the winner on the of those two games on the men's side, they will meet up in the conference championship on Saturday, March 7th. That game will tip off at 3.30 p.m., so not a lot of time to just rest and recalculate. And then you look at the women's side of things, the winner will face off, the two winners, I should say, of the semifinals games, they'll face off on Saturday, March 7th at 1 p.m. That game also in Plainview, Texas. So that will kind of conclude my coverage of the Sooner Athletic Conference, the basketball tournaments there. I spent a lot of time on it, three segments of material there. We'll go ahead and now take another break. I'll come back. Talk some national news. NFL free agency is going to be the big topic there. And we'll start to kind of put things up at a close here on Episode 8 of the Field of Play podcast. Welcome back into the Field of Poly podcast. I'm Warry Phillips. Now we'll kind of shift gears here, talk some more national news. Talked a little bit about it in the very first 
start of the show, start of that segment or whatever, talking about Tom Brady, about how it's kind of getting tired of the whole just really just parade about, oh, where's he going to go, and just a lot of speculation. It's really just getting old at this point. I have talked about it on probably half of these episodes before, and I'm really just going to kind of steer clear of that. I made my opinions known about the whole Tom Brady ordeal, about how I don't really think it would be very ideal for him to go off and sign with somebody else, move across the country. I mean, all that good stuff. You want to hear my views on that? Again, as I said, feel free. Feel just completely free to go up, pull up, Episode 6. Feel to play Episode 6. You can get it on all those major streaming platforms. Actually, I got a big announcement regarding some of that. Now on Apple Podcasts. It's not wasn't made immediately known to be on Anchor, but I saw I was getting a lot of plays from there. Look up Apple Podcasts right there. Feel to play. It's, it's there. Episode 6. Tom Brady to the Cowboys. You can, I talk about Tom Brady for 15-20 minutes on there. So We'll kind of move along. Instead, we'll talk about this here. This came out a couple weeks ago. I always kind of dissect this list here. Top 101 free agents of 2020. They put this out on NFL.com every year. Uh, and it's just a really good list. I always look at it, kind of see, well, who's going to go where, kind of guess. And the number one guy they have here, actually, I'll just go ahead and say the top five. or top. I'll just say the top three. I don't want to go off and say the top five. Uh, because I think the top three are just so impactful and Two of them are Dallas Cowboys players. Dak Prescott, number one. Amari Cooper, number two. Jadavian Clowney, number three. Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Amari Cooper is top wide receiver. Jadavian Clowney, number three. He was a Seattle Seahawks uh, defensive end this year. Previous years he had played for the Texans. And another one, he didn't just have great sack totals this year. I mean, it says here, don't let the three sack total fool you. But he was really, I mean, he was just huge for that team. Helped the pass rush. And that was an area that, I mean, they – Frank Clark, he got traded, uh, but regardless, it was still just a big move for them to make. Clowney, uh, he will command some top money. I don't know if he'll get top money in the NFL in terms of his position, defensive end. I couldn't tell you that because you have several big defensive ends on the market. But I think he's deserving of it. He's an impactful presence and one of the better edge rushers in the league. Injuries are a bit of a problem, but if he's healthy, he's one of the best. I mean, you got other guys on here. Shaq Barrett, 19.5 sacks. Uh, Justin Simmons, the safety. Ryan Tannehill, he's number seven here, and that's that's a bit of a kind of a bit of a surprise. As for years and years, he played for the Miami Dolphins was really just kind of mediocre. Then he goes to the Titans, has just a breakout year when they had him fill in for Marcus Mariota, and uh, I mean, he got named the comeback player of the year. And here's the thing: I mean, it also says it here in this article. Uh, but, I mean, he definitely benefited off of the presence of Derrick Henry. He didn't have a difference maker of a running back there in Miami. But he's going to end up getting some money from somebody. I think his best fit would be to stay in Tennessee with the Titans, just build off of there. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Titans would want him back, especially considering they actually made a deep playoff run with him. Uh, but then you have after him Byron Jones, the corner. And that's the big thing here is the Cowboys, they have three top-tier free agents here. Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper. And Byron Jones, you assume they're going to keep Dak Prescott, so then it just leaves it between Amari and Byron Jones. Who's the odd man out? In my opinion, I mean, this is really tough because you, there, there are points against both of these guys. Amari Cooper, I mean, he had he's had a couple really good seasons with the Cowboys, but there's no doubt a lot of his statistics, his stats are padded by games against really bad defenses. 
Like, he'll go off and he'll have a game where he gets 10 catches, 11 catches for 215 yards and three touchdowns. Then he'll follow that up with three or four straight weeks where he's just getting, like, five catches for 60 yards. Just That's something he's very inconsistent for a number one receiver. And I've talked to some people, they say, well, he's a really good two but not a very good one. And I've talked to some people that say he's one of the best, five best receivers in the league. And I don't know if – I don't agree with either – Part of that, I, I don't agree with either side there. I think he's a good number one, but he's very streaky. He's too streaky. and But I don't know. Byron Jones, the big criticism about him is he's drawn some easy matchups, but he's just an athlete. I mean, he started his career at safety. Uh, last couple years, he became a corner, and he's had some really good games. Now, I know some people criticize him, say, well, he's had he's drawn easy matchups. Uh, like sometimes they'd line him up on tight ends and – uh, if you're a really athletic corner or safety, I mean, a lot of times, uh, especially most teams in the league, don't really make use of tight ends and pass-catching scenarios. So that is one criticism of Jones, but I don't know, man. I feel like I'm in the minority on this, but I'd almost rather re-sign Byron Jones than uh, re-signing Amari Cooper. I think you got so many guys in the draft right now at receiver that are talented. You have a couple with first-round grades that would likely fall to the Cowboys, especially since they missed the playoffs. And Amari, he's going to command top-tier money. He's going to command top-tier money. And is it worth it for a guy who's as inconsistent as him? In my opinion, no. I think Byron Jones, as a shutdown corner, is much more valuable. I know he kind of had an off year last year. That defense as a whole really just wasn't at its peak. It wasn't really booming. But I'd rather have Jones at this point. I don't know if you lock him up for just a really long-term deal. Uh but, I mean, I think they end up probably re-signing Cooper, though. They do want to give Dak his weapons, especially since uh, there's a chance he may end up getting tagged. And I've heard a lot of things talking about them bringing back Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. Have not heard much about Byron Jones, though, because I've heard, oh, well, he may up, end up in Denver, in Denver Broncos. That may be one of the teams he ends up on. Uh, I'm not so sure about that, uh, but I, I do think if the, you had to pick an odd man out, he's probably it. But moving down this list, Eric Armstead, number nine. He really started to – develop under the 49ers these last couple years kind of a kind of a late to the party type of deal there he had a couple years starting out in his career where he was just not really a presence just a great player but he's developed I mean he's large guy 6'7 290 giant wingspan Uh, I don't know there's a chance he may end up getting franchise tag by the 49ers but he's developed into a really good defensive end Uh, AJ Green he's number 12 on the list I don't, I, I don't see the hype around A.J. Green. I'm going to be honest with you here. I really don't. And that's because he's been injured so much. And can you give a guy like him who missed all of last year and has missed just bits and pieces of almost every season he's been in the league, can you give him uh, number one receiver money? Can you even trust him as a number one receiver right now? I don't think you can. And he'll end up somewhere. I bet he'll end up staying with the Bengals at some, in some way. I've heard they may be franchise tagging him. Uh, to keep him for Joe Burrow. But I think that may honestly be the best move. I think this is one of the occasions where I don't say it often, but the franchise tag may actually help A.J. Green because he does need another year, I think, in Cincinnati to really rebuild his image. Right now everybody sees him as a talented receiver. I think he's talented. Uh, He could be a Hall of Famer potentially someday, but he's just injured so much. He missed all of last year. Killed my fantasy team just about because I drafted him in like the fifth round. Uh but I think his best bet, stay with Joe Burrow. See if you can help him develop there. And if he can be one of his top threats, 
on the tag, he would that would be he would command top money again. I feel like he's one good year away from that. But right now, if he goes off, tests the waters of free agency. He's not going to get much of anything. He's not going to get much of anything, and it could end up hurting his career long term. But anyway, behind him, Derrick Henry, uh, Drew Brees, both of those guys. I don't see them leaving their teams. I think I heard that Brees was staying in the NFL, coming back, and I'm assuming that's that's got to be with the Saints. Where else would he go? Tom Brady, oh, the infamous Tom Brady. Where's he going to go? I think he's going to go to the uh, Cleveland Browns. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, behind him, uh, Hunter Henry, the tight end, ex-Arkansas Razorback. That's one I, I'm not so sure. I feel like he'd probably leave the Chargers, but he could end up being a franchise tag there. Uh, looking elsewhere down the list, Jack Conklin, a key guy on that Tennessee Titans line. But are they going to be able to afford him? Because they'd want to bring back Derrick Henry Probably Ryan Tannehill as well. And, I mean, as hard as it is to find offensive line prospects in the NFL these days, um, offensive tackle is, I would say, more replaceable than a standout running back or a really good quarterback. Now, I don't know. Running backs, I feel like, are more replaceable than a lot of people let on, but Derrick Henry is just on another level. And I think Conklin had a really good year. He'll get top money, probably more than what the Titans will pay him. He's probably gone. Uh, Phillip Rivers, I said a few weeks back that the Buccaneers would be a great fit for him. He ranks number 22 on their list. Uh, But I've heard the Colts may be in play for him. And that's another one I think would be a good fit. I feel like he'd fit the Bruce Arians mold maybe a little more. But regardless, I think he's another guy. He's going to get top-level money just for a couple years of work. I don't see him having just a lot of long-term value left in the league. But he will go down. He'll go somewhere. I feel like now maybe the Colts, I think the best fit for him would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, but they may end up dra- be drafting somebody. So, anyway, looking further, Chris Harris Jr., Jameis Winston at 25. He's probably gone from Tampa Bay. I don't see Bruce Arians holding on to him. Uh, where does he go, though? I mean, the Raiders could be in play if they whiff on Tom Brady. Uh, they may end up keeping Derek Carr, and if that's the case, that Jameis Winston may be out of options. He may end up having to take a backup role following the Tannehill route. Uh, going further down here, Dante Fowler Jr., 11 and a half sacks last season, 16 tackles for loss for the Rams. Uh, got traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars a couple years back. Jason Pierre-Paul at number 31. and uh, he He's had a lot of injuries in his career. Uh, he only had eight starts last year, but still at eight and a half sacks, 44 pressures. Uh, I don't think he'll get big money, but he's another good defensive end, I feel like. When he played for the Giants, he was a tad on the streaky side, but he was still one of the better guys, better defensive ends in the league. He's good, but he's not great. After that, Austin Hooper, 32. He's a tight end. Uh, 75 catches last year for 787 yards. I've heard that there are multiple teams could be in play for him. Um, and you, we go further down, Melvin Gordon. He really hurt himself by taking that uh, – holdout, contract holdout, and that has helped some players. They'll go out, hold out, and then they'll get money, and they look just like beasts. Melvin Gordon, it was the worst situation for him. He actually came back midway into the year. They didn't give him a contract, and he just flat out was not good. It, he made His holdout made him look terrible in the eyes of a lot of teams. He showed that he wasn't worth it, and uh, – I mean, now he's in a tough situation. Do the Chargers even want him at this point? And I think he's talented, but do they really want him? Uh, I mean, he's got really good short yardage power. He's an explosive back, but 
He's not just really good. He's not elite, and he, it's not going to warrant Ezekiel Elliott money, though that may be what he ends up trying to get. Looking further here, Everson Griffin. James Bradbury, one of the guys who's going to command a lot of money at the corner position. Probably not as much as Byron Jones, but maybe just under him. Robert Quinn. This was somebody I really liked with the Cowboys, but realistically, I don't think that he comes back there. Manuel Sanders at 39. Just kind of going further down the list. I know I'm not rooting off everybody, but I'm reading some of the notables here. Andrew Whitworth at 46. He was really good with the Cincinnati Bengals as their left tackle. Uh, also was good his first year or so in uh, Los Angeles, but he's 38 entering his age 38 season, and he's starting to decline. I don't know just how big of a market there is for him. Kenyon Drake at 47. He was playing for the Dolphins for a while, got traded to the Cardinals, and really just had a great last half of his season there. I think he may end up coming back there. I think that may be his best option because, again, you wonder just how much money could you get off of a half a season of work or half of legitimate tape, good good half season of work. Logan Ryan, 49, cornerback, played for the Tennessee Titans there. Jamie Collins. Jamie Collins at one point was one of the rising linebackers in the league. Could have been considered one of the best, but he kind of really fell off when he signed – or when he got traded to the Browns, I should say. Came back to the Patriots. Uh, I mean, he had a really good year last year, but he isn't as good. His star isn't as bright. His name does not excite as many people as it has in previous years. Looking further now, Jason Peters, the ex-Arkansas Razorback. 38 years old, same deal as Andrew Whitworth. He plays offensive tackle. Eagles, I feel like he probably is best to go back to the Eagles. 38 years old, offensive lineman. Just how much of a market is there for somebody at that age playing at such a grueling position? Um, Malik Collins, Dallas Cowboys defensive tackle at 57. I don't know if they bring him back or not. That's going to be interesting to see what happens. He's okay. I don't think he's just really good. Now I'm surprised here. Teddy Bridgewater down at 63, the quarterback. He came in, filled in for Drew Brees in his first legitimate playing time in a regular season game in a long time. Filled in a few games for him last year when he was injured. Uh, Bridgewater on the Saints, and he did a great job. Why is he lower? Why is he almost 40 spots lower than Jameis Winston? The guy who threw 30 picks last year, why is Teddy Bridgewater 30 spots, 30-plus spots, almost 40 lower than Jameis Winston? Now, that is puzzling. I think he'll end up somewhere. I don't know if it's as a starter. He may end up with the Patriots if Brady comes back, and it's kind of like a deal where we'll start you in a year or two. Eli Apple, number 70. I remember when he played for the Giants. See, I think he was with the Saints last year. Uh, another one, a lot of hype coming out of Ohio State. But, I mean, he had a good year last year with the Saints, but I don't know if – I mean, he had, this says here, I mean, tons of starting experience. Well, a lot of these guys have tons of starting experience. Does not mean that they're a great pickup. Apple, I don't know just how exciting of a name he is. Same for Carlos Hyde at 73. Running back out of Ohio State. Played for the 49ers for a while. Kind of bounced around some teams. Uh, I mean, he was okay last year on the Texans, but I don't know if they'll bring him back. Vic Beasley, he had a great year a few years back. Since then, hasn't really been able to bring back there. Um, Vic Beasley, that's somebody I said the Cowboys. If they don't get Robert Quinn, they could probably get Vic Beasley on a cheap deal, similar to how similar circumstances to how they got Robert Quinn. That would be interesting. I don't think he's really in play for the Cowboys, though. Rashad Perryman, receiver at number 78. Marcus Mariota, 79. 
I think he ends up going the backup route. Going further down, Jimmy Smith. There was a lot of hype on him a little while back, a few years ago, 2016-ish. Not a lot of hype around him now, as you can see, 83 on their list of 101. Uh, Marlon Humphrey really just unseated him over this last year. The Ravens were really good, though, uh, but, I mean, too crowded of a room. They got Marcus Peters. They got Chuck Clark, and all both of them, as well as Marlon Humphrey, way better than Jimmy Smith at this point. Randall Cobb, number 88. I think he ends up coming back to the Cowboys. I don't see. I mean, they got Mike McCarthy. That pretty much confirms it for me. And I don't think he costs too much money to keep. And there's some more here. Shaq Lawson, 98. Jordan Reed at 101, the tight end. I was, I've was i always been a big fan of Jordan Reed, even when he was coming out of college. I mean, he's a big guy, pretty good blocker, but always injured. I don't know if there's just going to be a big market for him either. And that's really what we come up on as we reach the – basically from 50 down, it's mostly guys that uh, they have potential. They either have potential, they had a really good year like in 2016 or 17, but they've really not lived up to that or there's somebody that had a really good last half of the year, or they're an aging vet that they played. They're now they're like 37, 38. And then you have guys at the bottom like Jordan Reed, always injured, but the potential's there. Uh, just not a big market for a lot of them. I mean, who else did they not speak on on here? Uh, I mean, Robbie Anderson, he's at 35. Devin McCourty, he's at 29. I I really covered a lot of the notables here. I think I did. Eric Armstead, again, another good good defensive end. I feel like I think this says here they feel like he'll get the tag from 49ers. I pretty much agree with that. And I don't think he'd get as much money on the market as a Jadavian Clowney or Shaq Barrett would. Shaq Barrett, if the Buccaneers can keep him, that would be huge. I don't know just if they can. Depends on what they do with Jameis Winston or who they go off and sign. If they sign Phillip Rivers, that may shake things up money-wise. But anyway, just some topics there. Talking about NFL free agency. Uh, see here, Tannehill affirms he'd like to be back with the Titans. I talked about that a few minutes ago. Ryan Tannehill, again, I think that's his best bet. Uh, but some different quarterbacks here. I mean, you look, Dak Prescott's by far the one with the most buzz because he's, I mean, you got vets on here like Tom Brady, Drew Brees, that they're, I think, better right now, but they don't have as long of a shelf life left as Dak does. He's got another 10-plus years in the league as a starter. The question is, is he good enough to set the market? In my opinion, no. Uh, but he'll end up back with the Cowboys in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's on the franchise tag. I feel like regardless, he's going to get an extension before next season. Just how much is it going to be? Is it going to be $35 million? Is it going to be $40 million? I mean, that's kind of an absurd amount to throw out there, but there's that chance. And then you got some guys as well, uh, Phillip Rivers, Ryan Tannehill, Jameis Winston. Not just really exciting names, but they've all shown potential, especially Tannehill at the end of last season with the Titans taking them down. And, I mean, Derrick Henry, he was a star of that show for the Titans offense. But even then, uh, Tannehill, he will get some looks from some teams that just may be his best bet is to stay with the Titans. And I always have kind of this conservative approach of, well, if it's not a clear situation where they can't afford you, your best bet is to stay with your team. And that's how I feel about a lot of these. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, stay with the Titans. Um I mean, Phillip Rivers, I said best fit would be with the Buccaneers. I don't think it was a good fit for him with the Chargers anymore. But a lot of these, uh, Derrick Henry, stay with the Titans. Uh, I think Carlos Hyde's best career fit would maybe to stay with the Texans. I don't think it will happen. Randall Cobb, stay with the Cowboys. 
Amari Cooper's best career deal may be to stay with the Cowboys. That's going to be what ends up happening, I feel like. Same for A.J. Green. Surprised we didn't see Josh Gordon in their top 101. Now, I know there's a little bit of uh, shakiness surrounding his long-term future in the NFL uh, due to a lot of his suspensions. Jason Witten didn't crack the top 101. Kind of surprising. Uh, Ronald Leary, I don't think I saw him on there. A few years ago, I know when he was with the Cowboys, he was one of their top offensive linemen. Uh, going on here, looking some more. I don't think I saw Gerald McCoy on there. One of their top defensive tackles. Back a few years back with the Buccaneers, he was really good. No, I'm talking about a lot of what people would categorize as has-beens, but anyway. So, yeah, that kind of just does it there. You got some restricted free agents as well. Saints quarterback Taysom Hill may be the biggest one among them. Austin Eckler, the Chargers running back also, kind of he overtook Melvin Gordon. It's just some NFL free agency news there, just kind of going down, giving my takes on a lot of that. This was an article I'd wanted to kind of – uh, dissect a little bit in my in an episode possibly last week, but I didn't feel like we could devote a full episode to one article because this was literally the one article I read sports-wise last week that was anywhere near interesting and anywhere near well I can actually speak on this because, again, a lot of it was just, oh, Tom Brady, oh, Joe Burrow, does he really want to go to the Bengals? Well, I don't think it's his choice. Uh, if they pick him number one, then I guess he can really hurt his draft stock or hurt his stock in the eyes of other teams by saying, I don't want to go, you know, but it's the same deal. Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady. And then the big collide together on ESPN. One of their top headlines today is Joe Burrow saying, please don't compare me to Tom Brady. So it's like the big just uh, collide, the big meetup. It's like it's like a all the Marvel movies, the big Marvel movies, they finally meet up in Avengers. Well, Brady and Burrow stealing all the headlines. They finally meet up uh, here headline. Joe Burrow, please don't compare me to Tom Brady. Do they discuss the Bengals in this? Do they talk about how he doesn't want to go to the Bengals? I'm not going to read through this, but huh. Hell, he's projected first overall the Bengals. Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of this ESPN coverage is really just – that site has been boring for weeks. And just not a lot to talk about there. I started to hit up more NFL.com, NBA.com, all that. But anyway, we'll go ahead here, take a quick break. I'll come back, close things off on Episode 8 of the Field of Podcast. You're tuned in to the Field of Play Podcast. I'm Ori Phillips, and we'll be right back. Welcome back into the Field of Play podcast. I'm Ori Phillips, closing things off here, and we got some breaking news around the NFL. Anyway, we got a trade here reported on ESPN, kind of refreshing the timeline. Trade happening in the NFL, and I don't know how highly you view offensive linemen and their importance to the to the game of football. I personally view them in high esteem. Uh, but this is a big move. A couple of Pro Bowl offensive linemen moving places here. Carolina Panthers are trading Pro Bowl offensive lineman Trey Turner to the Los Angeles Chargers for Russell Okun, who will be going from the Chargers to the Carolina Panthers. Trey Turner, a guard who has been selected to five straight Pro Bowls, signed through the 2021 season, scheduled to earn a base salaries of $8.5 million and $11 million over the next two seasons, but he did want a new deal. Probably going to cost a lot more than $11 million or even the base salary of $13 million that Russell Okun's getting paid. Uh, and ultimately, as a result, Turner gets traded. And I think the winner of this, honestly, has to be the Chargers if they're willing to keep him around long term. I mean, Trey Turner, he's 26. 
He turns 26 on June 14th, so he has a lot of mileage left. And a really good player. I mean, Okun, he's good as well. I think he's a bit on the decline. He's 32 in October. Or he turned 32 in October, I should say. And he was with the Chargers for three seasons, but he wasn't just really great. He was okay. Uh, but I think the Panthers, the big thing here is they want to save money. I think right now they'd be paying more for Russell Okun, but they don't want to be strapped to an offensive lineman long term. And this is after this, he's got one year left on his contract. Base salary of $13 million. Chances are he's there for one year and then he's done. Um, so, I mean, you're talking about short term, the winner of this trade, I'd say is probably – I'd still argue it's the Chargers because they'd be playing, paying Trey Turner less. Uh, but the Panthers, they, I guess, don't want their salary cap dictated long term by an offensive lineman. So, in that case, you could chalk it up as maybe a win for them. But I don't know. Trey Turner, I mean, five straight Pro Bowls. He's a really talented guy, and I think I think the Chargers win this one. Uh, they get an upgrade at the offensive line. That's a position of need for them. It's been that way for the last three or four years, if not longer. And uh, Turner, he's he's a really good player. So a big move there around the NFL. That will kind of close things off for the Field of Play podcast. And just want to close things off with some big news. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, but we're now available on seven streaming platforms. Right now, Anchor's telling me six, but I saw that people were listening to my podcast on Apple Podcasts. Went and looked, searched it up. There you go. I'm on Apple Podcasts. Uh, so we got that there. Seven platforms, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. Only three ones it says I'm not on yet are CastBox, Overcast, and Stitcher. It also says I'm not on Apple Podcasts, but as I said, I looked and I'm I am on there. I don't know about the others. I could probably look, and I may end up being on there, uh, but I haven't looked into any of those three. I also, you know, I've had some people ask, what about YouTube? Am I still going to stream on YouTube, put it up on YouTube? I am not for now because we do not have a visual, like a video version of this podcast, and that is a video site. And just putting audio on there takes a lot of time. It was taking me two hours almost to put that stuff up and taking up a lot of storage on my computer. And really, I mean, there's a chance, and I've been talking to some people around JB, we're probably going to get a bigger podcast studio that would allow video cameras to come in and shoot me talking. And Because right now I'm in a podcast studio where we don't have that. It's just a couple of mics. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a good studio, no doubt. But if we expand, there's a chance this could, we, I could go back to YouTube. But I'm not a big fan of that site, period. I like the streaming platforms more. I think they're more user-friendly, especially as a content creator. Uh, but, yeah, make sure you check me out. Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts. No matter where you're listening, I appreciate it. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Make sure to check me out on Facebook at Field of Play. We've got a new website up. Business is booming. And, again, the blog is still up as well. In case you want to go back and read some of my stuff there, may get that back up and running as well. Uh, and for all the new fans, I hope you enjoy this episode. New followers again. I'd say my rebrands worked out pretty well in first episode in two weeks. I'd call it a success. So episode eight of the Field of Podcast now concluded. I'll be back with a little more next week. May start doing two a week. Now, I don't know how it'll work before the JBU basketball season ends, but we'll kind of play it by ear, see what happens. I'd like to start doing two a week. I think I'll keep it one up until around April or so, but you may start getting multiple episodes a week from me. It's going to be an interesting development. But that will do it for this edition. I'll be back next week with some more content. And this has been the Field of Play Podcast. I'm Maury Phillips, and thanks for listening.